0: Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles out this morning. Let me put that right there where I don't forget it. Take your Bibles out this morning. Open them to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I do want to talk to you today about the power of faith. We're going to look at a couple more examples of faith in this 11th chapter of Hebrews. And uh, the, uh, the... Goal. The point is that faith has power. What is the power of faith? You know, when I think about strength or power, I really don't stren- I think about Russell Hardesty. One of the things that comes to my mind is uh, a friend of mine that uh, I knew in, um, in the Navy, when I served in the Navy. His name was Dan Rhodes. And Dan and I uh, were in uh, M Division on the submarine. We worked together. And Dan was a little... Uh, different from everybody else. In fact, some people might call him neurotic or something like that. I don't know. He was a good friend of mine. But one of the things that he really uh, uh, taught me was sailing. Dan loved to sail. And uh, our, our division, when we were off or when we weren't, you know, working, uh, when we were off the submarine, uh, we would uh, go out to the lake. And uh, one, of a, one of the guys in our division had a, uh, had a, 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 a ski boat. And it had an Osmobile, a 380 Osmobile inboard engine in it. And uh, it was a jet, you know, it was one of those jet things. That was newfangled back in uh, the 80s, I think it was. I'd never seen one before. But, man, that thing uh, could fly. And we would just ski all over the lake and everything in that boat. Well, Dan showed up one day with a sailboat and... um, because he liked to sail. He had sailed. He grew up in Utah uh, near the Great Salt Lake, and evidently he had sailed on the Great Salt Lake some. I don't know exactly how much. But anyway, he showed up with a sailboat one day, and so we not only skied that day, but we also sailed. And I'll never forget the conversation that he had with uh, Roy. Roy was the guy who owned the, uh, the ski boat. He said, uh, he said, Roy, you know, you have 380 cubic inches in your boat, but my boat has unlimited power, unlimited power. And Roy said, oh, yeah, how's that? What, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, uh, so, you know, you got your engine and everything. It's gas fed and everything, but I've got the wind. And I could sail this thing around. It's unlimited power. It never ends. It never stops. Yours is going to stop one day. And Roy said, and I'll never forget, he said, well, I tell you what, if you want to have a race, uh, I'll, I'll put my 380 cubic inches up against your unlimited power any day. Well, Dan didn't take him up on that. But I've always thought about that. You know, there is a, there is a lot of power in the wind. And, and, you know, when Donna and I moved down here in 2008, into Brazoria. That was the year that Ike came into uh, uh, to Galveston, and we found out exactly the power of wind. We'd never been in a hurricane before, you know, and, uh, and so I was just thinking about that as I was preparing about the power of faith. You know, there's all different types of power. About the same time or a little bit later, I guess, when I was uh, uh, getting ready to get out of the Navy, I was, uh, a guy was uh, trying to talk me into uh, being an insurance agent, Okay, and uh, and I did some of that. I tried selling insurance a little bit, and praise God, He called me to preach because I wouldn't have made a living selling insurance. But, uh, Amen. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I know some can, but I didn't, right? And uh, but anyway, he was uh, he was the kind of guy that he uh, was kind of I would call him almost a conspiracy theorist. Uh, uh, theorist. I don't know if I said that right, but uh, he was telling me about this uh, this group called the Illuminati. And uh, he had this. Uh, he he t- he knew all about the Illuminati and these people that are kind of, they have all kinds of of money and power, and they're behind the scenes of every government. And they're the one. It's really not the president, and the Congress that are making decisions in our country. It's uh, you know, it's this these Illuminati, these people kind of behind the scenes. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. And some of y'all might understand that. And well, I you know, I, it's it's a little bit beyond me. But I I remember asking him a question. I said, why why would what, what, what would be the motivation for people, you know, to do that? And his one word was power. He said that's what people are looking for. They want power. Well, what is that? Well, power is the ability to, to think something or say something, and then it gets done right i mean there are some people out there that are motivated by that evidently they they want they want what they want and they want other people to do what they want you know i mean i guess i don't know exactly how to explain that but you know i was thinking about it and um and you know i wonder what is it that motivates people like to run for public office who would to be president of the United States and, and to be in Congress and those type of things. And praise God that we have people like that. I, but, but, you know, from what you'd have to go through and all, I, what would motivate somebody to do that? That has absolutely no appeal to me. And somebody told me one time, it's power. That people want power. That maybe when they, you know, when they go up there or something, that they really have good motivations and everything. But, but there's an old saying that power corrupts absolutely and absolute power corrupts absolutely that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, I think that's the way it's said. And, you know, if you study history, you see that that's exactly true. That's exactly right. The the more power you give someone, the more more corrupted they become, right? And all you have to do, really, is look at governments today, including our government, and you see the corruption that really comes with power. I mean, just think about that. What is it that motivates people? What is it about power? And what about what about a child of God? I mean, you know, because if you, if you think in terms of power, the reality is is that that we are. You know, we're surrounded. There's a lot of things that we don't see in the spiritual realm that are called powers. In fact, let me give you a passage. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses, beginning of verse 10. It says, and this is the apostle Paul speaking, and, and uh, this is the, the part in which he's going to go through the, the armor of God. He's going to say, put on the full armor of God. Here's why. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand against the schemes of the devil? What's that all about? Well, he says in verse 12, for our struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers. You get that? The cosmic powers of this darkness... Against the evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now he's talking to physical people, but he says that there is that somehow, some way in this spiritual realm, there are these cosmic powers of darkness that are behind all of this mess in this world. And this really is our struggle. Our fight is not against people like Russell Hardesty who are bullies. Our fight is against this cosmic power of darkness that rules and reigns are, that is, that is going on in this world. And, and what you see here is this, in, in this, this, there's a cosmic struggle evidently going on, and we would call it the difference between good versus evil or God versus the devil. And you and I are like we're right in the middle of it. We're right in the middle of this struggle. And by the way, let me just pause here and tell you that this is why. If this is true, and this is what the Bible says is true, if this is true, this is why your relationship with God is vital because you cannot succeed, win, have victory, however you want to look at it, against the cosmic powers of this darkness unless you've got the cosmic power of light, right? And by the way, you know, we, one of the things that we teach in... Uh, Uh, in uh, on the mission field is the difference between the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness this is real and by the way it resonates with people that that aren't quite as you know sophisticated as most of us no we don't believe in that stuff anymore listen it is real all you I mean these people live it and maybe in some way we're Uh, We're insulated from it in the United States. I do believe that there is a blanket blessing over our nation because of our ancestors who founded this country on biblical principles. I think that covering is being removed. And we're beginning to see more and more of this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and the spiritual wickedness in high places, the cosmic Powers of darkness, and this is why we need the Lord. This is why your relationship with God is so vital. Now, the question might be well, how in the world then do I tap into this power? And by the way, the Bible teaches in terms of power that God Himself is, and the theological word is omnipotent, meaning all powerful. Okay, He is all powerful, He has all power, and so this the cosmic powers of darkness are first of all lesser powers and then they're just what is allowed if you will. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 is just one verse I pulled out. Jeremiah the prophet wrote, "O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great watch this. Power and with your outstretched arms nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for God. He has all power he is omnipotent and this is why because of the cosmic powers of darkness that are that we war against or that we are engaged with or fight against in this world we need the power of god this is why your relationship with god is so vital now the question then becomes well how do i as a human being how do i tap into or access or appropriate the power of god in my life in this struggle that i have in this world against the cosmic powers of darkness and the answer is faith the answer is faith how do i tap in to god's power the answer is by faith. Let me give you another little story in the Gospels. Jesus uh, takes a couple of disciples, goes up on a mountain where he's transfigured, and they actually see the glory of God there. But while Jesus is up on that mountain, there's something else going down in the valley. Uh, the, the other disciples are kind of hanging out, and a man shows up, and he's got, a, um, uh, he's got a son who is demon-possessed. Man, he has all kinds of mess going on in his life. And, um, and he throws himself in a fire. He's suicidal. I mean, he's got all this stuff going on. And this man uh, brings, he's looking for Jesus, but he can't find him. But he finds the disciples. And he says, hey, can you all do something for my uh, son here? And they try. They really do. They try to bring to bear, you know, the things that Jesus has taught them and whatnot. But they can't. They can't do anything for this boy. He's, he's unaffected by whatever it is that these guys are able to do. And then Jesus comes down off the mountain. And uh, he shows up, and, and, and the guy brings, you know, his son to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. He casts the, he casts the demon out, and, uh, and, you know, the boy is healed, and he goes on his way. And, then in, and this is found in Matthew chapter 17. In the 19th verse, it says, Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we drive the demon out? And Jesus said in verse 20, Because of your little faith, he told them. Now watch this. He says, For truly I tell you, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I want you to notice, he's not saying that the size of your faith is what matters here. Just a tiny little bit of faith can move a mountain. By the way, this mountain is metaphorical, okay? It's a metaphor. He's not saying that, uh, you know, we're we're talking about. Uh, you know, the actual physical mountain. We're talking about the spiritual mountains or the mountains in life. Those things that come against us, those things that we can't get past, we can't get over, we can't get through, whatever it is. The mountains, the spiritual mountains of this world, he says, if you just got. That much faith, just that tiny little bit of faith, you can speak to it, and it will move. Will it move by by your power? No, by the power of God. That is, your faith is what taps into the power of God. In fact, if I were to talk about the power of faith, or if we were to talk about the power of faith, what we're really talking about is the power of God in our life as he works and moves in us through faith. This is the story of the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And we've been looking at this chapter for a number of weeks as we've just been kind of walking through what's called the road call of faith. And really it is just a series of examples of people just like you and me. These folks aren't extraordinary in any way other than the fact that they put their faith to work in their lives and extraordinary things took place in their lives through faith. And what we come to today is two uh, examples of faith and what I would call, again, the power of faith. Read it with me. It's in uh, down in verse 30 in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace. And didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his faith. Now, before you look up, I want to just point something out to you. I want you, I want you to go back to verse 30. And it says there, by faith, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, right? Uh, in verse 29, I want you to notice, and we looked at this last week or the week before. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. As though they were on dry land. Now there's a space of forty years between verse twenty-nine and verse thirty. In verse twenty-nine, cross the Red Sea. In verse thirty, walls of Jericho come falling down. Forty years have passed. What happened during those forty years? What happened during those forty years was the children of Israel they came into uh, the wilderness and went to Mount Sinai. God gave them the Ten Commandments, and then God said, okay, now we're going to move into the Promised Land. Great, let's send some spies in, send 12 spies in. 12 spies come back. Ten of them say, man, there's giants in that land. They are walled up to heaven. Man, those cities are walled up to heaven. They're impregnable. We can't can't go. Two of them said, Caleb and Joshua said, no, we can, let's go, right? But the people decided, no, we're not going to go. If you look back in uh, chapter 3, Uh, of Hebrews in verse 19 it says they were unable to enter because of their unbelief and so what happened was for 40 years the people of God they circled that wilderness they just made lap after lap after lap until every one of them that had come out of Egypt died why did they die in the wilderness and the answer is unbelief that is lack of faith apostle Paul talks about the same thing in Romans He says they were broken off, and he's talking about Jewish people. They were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Now, notice you've got faith, you've got unbelief. I want you to see that this is a matter of life and death. Why? Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just the Russell Hardesties of this world or just wind power that we're talking about. We are talking about the cosmic powers of darkness that are arrayed against people, everybody. And we either tap into the power of God so that we have defense or that we are able to live or we're going to die. That's the difference. It is a matter of life and death. Okay? So that's what we're talking about here. So let me just, let's just, let me just give you these two things in this passage with these two examples. First of all, there's the example of the walls of Jericho. By faith, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And here's the first thing, under the heading, the power of faith. Faith has the power to change hopeless situations. What is the power of faith? It is the power to change a hopeless situation or a hopeless circumstance. Now, the walls of Jericho, to, you know, to understand this, you're going to need to go back. I want to encourage you to do this this afternoon. Go back, open up the book of Joshua, and read Joshua 5 and 6. That's where the story of the, quote, battle of Jericho is. It really wasn't a battle. In fact, you know, when we were a kid, we sang that song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Well, Joshua didn't fight the battle of Jericho, okay? Let's just go ahead and admit that. God did, all right? And so what happened, and just real quick, the way the the story goes, children of Israel cross into the promised land, and their very first encounter is Jericho. Jericho is a great walled city. In fact, archaeologists tell us that the walls of Jericho were 30 feet thick, 45 feet tall. They were made of mud brick. Now, later on in history, uh, some folks named the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they're going to learn how to knock walls like that down. They're going to bring siege engines up, and they're going to... uh, They're going to put those siege engines up against the wall, and they're going to start pounding on that wall until they knock it down. The Israelites didn't have anything like that. They had swords, and they had slingshots, and that was about it. And they could not just bypass Jericho. They had to take Jericho because uh, it basically guarded the whole land. And so they've got to do something about it, but it was impregnable, absolutely impossible. There was no way they were going to be able to take jericho down and in that fifth chapter of joshua joshua goes out one day and he's trying to figure out what to do man he's the commander he's got to have all the answers and the angel of the lord or the commander of the lord's army meets him you can read about this again in joshua 5 and uh and joshua says well whose side are you on and commander of the lord's army says i tell you what i didn't come to take sides i came to take over now what side are you on right there's a really cool sermon in that i preached it before but anyway uh, he says what side are you on joshua and joshua's like hey i'm on your side okay uh, what are we gonna do and the angel of the lord said i tell you what we're gonna do i want you to get your army and i want you to take them out i want you to march around jericho on the first day okay just march around that's all i don't want them to say anything i want to be quiet, just march around okay Second day, I want you to do the same thing. Third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, march around. Don't say a word and then go home, right? Go back to Gilgal. It's 20 miles away. Gilgal from, uh, uh, from Jericho is about 20 miles. So they had to march about an hour and a half, and then they'd march around Jericho, which probably took them an hour or so. On the seventh day, he said, I want you to march around seven times. And so on that seventh day, they were probably out there marching 10, 12 hours. And then he said, At that seventh time, I want you to blow the trumpet. I want everybody to raise a shout, and I'll take care of everything else. All right? Now, I just want you to just picture this for a second, because this is almost, I mean, you know, God has a sense of humor. And you can imagine Joshua, you know, he gathers all his commanders together, the commanders of thousands and hundreds and everything. And they're like, okay, what are we going to do? And Joshua's like, I tell you what we're going to do. I got it, man. The Lord has shown me. This is how we're going to take down Jericho. All right. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to get out and march around it. Okay. And then we'll attack. No, no, we're not going to attack. Then we're going to go home. And then the next day, what are we going to do? We're going to attack. No, we're going to march around it. Say what? Yeah, we're going to march around it. And then what? Then attack. No. Then the third day, we'll march around it. Fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, we're just going to march around it. Well, you know Joshua, that's cool, man. As that, your, as your. No. Then on the seventh day, oh, we're not going to march around at that time. No, we're going to march around seven times that day. Would say what, Joshua? You know, and you know they're sitting there looking at him, thinking, man, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. And then can you imagine when they started doing it and those troops, man, those fighting men, they're out there walking around that city, and don't say a word, just march around. And then on the seventh time, on the seventh day, after the seventh time, when I tell you, then you go ahead and shout. Oh, that really is going to do something, right? Yeah, praise God. But that's what they do. And Joshua, who's the commander, and they they trusted Joshua. Joshua trusted the Lord, and they obeyed God. And on that seventh time, they shouted, and what happened? And the walls came down. And they walked in. They didn't have to fight. God delivered it into his hands. Now, what knocked the walls of Jericho down? Was it the shouting? No. Was it the, uh, uh, was it the marching around? I heard a preacher say one time, you know, they're stamping as they marched around that weakened the wall so that when they shouted, then it was falling. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. Try that. On a 30-foot wall, 45-foot tall, just march around in some and see if that would really, see how that's going to weaken it. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. Who knocked the wall down? God did. How did he do it? Through the faith of God's people. Because they took God at his word, and they did what God said. And beloved, that's what faith is. Faith is taking the word of God and bringing it to bear in your life, in the situations of your life. And when God works in your life, and he does this through faith, by his word, things change. The hopeless becomes hopeful. The impossible becomes not impossible anymore. That is, things are miraculously changed, and that is the way faith works. That's the power of faith in the life of a child of God or in believer. You take the Word of God, you bring it to bear in your life, in your situation, and let's just admit it for a second. Everybody here has got impossible situations in your life, right? I mean, maybe, you know, it's your health. It might be your marriage it might be your children. It might be your work. It might be a Russell Hardesty or somebody like that. And what the Lord says, I tell you what, if you'll trust me, if you'll come to me and you'll take my word, and by the way, that means you need to know the word of God. If you take the word of God and bring it to bear in your life by faith, if you'll believe me and trust me, I'll make that which is impossible in your life, I'll make it possible. I will change the impossible situations. Let me give you a couple examples of how this work. Okay, one I already mentioned is marriage. Okay, so anybody here have anybody here struggling marriage? Anybody have a spouse that's difficult to deal with or put up with? Uh, Doesn't do what you uh, don't. Watch out! The amens, brother. Hang on a minute. Be careful. (laughs) I'm going to pray for you, brother. Um, Well, what does God's word have to say about? What does God's word say about how a husband and wife are to, you know, are to live? Well, I'll tell you what it says. It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Very, very simple. Love your wife. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself for the church, right? He died for the church. Gave himself up, right? And so when he says, husband, love your wife in that way, like Christ loved the church. And I, I can't tell you how many men that I've talked to about the things going on in their marriage, I'd say, you know what? I tell you what, you love your wife like that, and, uh, and God will God'll change things. God will take care of things. And I tell you, is what I've heard over and over. Well, Brother Greg, you don't really know about my wife, right? I mean, you know, she does this, she doesn't do this, and blah, 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 I go through all these things. And I say, well, that's cool, right? But God didn't say, I mean, the word doesn't say love your wife if she's worthy of your love. Love your wife if she does everything right or she never complains or whatever it is, you know, if she treats you. No, it just says love your wife as Christ loved the church. And you know the Bible says that Jesus gave himself for us while we were still sinners. We were hating him and he was loving us. And he says, husbands, love your wife in that way. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered when a man will love his wife unconditionally... You know that now God will begin to work in that marriage, and God will, and and one thing that I tell young couples as I am counseling them to, to get married, you know, you want to have the nobody wants to have a sorry marriage, nobody wants to. Everybody wants to have a great marriage. And when we're young and love and everything, everybody's going to be cool. But it doesn't always turn out that way, right? But you know how to have the greatest marriage in the world. Just take God's word and apply it to your marriage. Husbands love you, wives, Christ love the church. What does it say to wives? It says, Wives, submit yourself to your husband as unto the Lord. And again, I've shared this with, with many wives. Who have a harder time with this because they feel like maybe I've got a little ulterior motive. Submit yourself to your own husband as unto the Lord. Well, Brother Greg, you don't know my husband. He does this, this, and goes through all of this and how sorry he is, and everything else like that. I can't submit myself to that, right? Except that the word doesn't say submit yourself to your own husband. If he's worthy of it, submit yourself to your own husband as unto the Lord if he's perfect. It says, submit yourself to your husband as unto the Lord. And what happens, I've discovered this, and this is just a biblical principle. When God's people do things God's way, God takes that which is impossible. And he changes it. He's able to do that. How? It's the power of God through our faith. When we take God at his word. I've seen marriages changed, restored, revived. I mean, and only God can do that. When when they would sit there and go, there's no hope. Yes, there's hope in the power of God by faith. Let me give you another example. Finances. Anybody in here struggle with money? You know, because you know how this thing works, right? I mean, and I've had people say, well, you know, this is how much money I make. And these are my bills right here. <laughs> and so, and this is why we get our credit cards maxed out and we get in debt and everything else like that. Because we've got this much money coming in. We got this much money going out, you know. And, uh, and so, when, you know, when people ask me, well, how, how do I deal with these things? I tell you, well, let's, let's see what God's Word has to say about it then we go to a passage like Malachi 3, and God says, Do you want to know why you don't have enough money at the end of the month? And you want to know why you're getting into financial trouble? He says, Because you're robbing me. And then the people say, How are we robbing you, God? And he says, Tithes and offerings. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Watch out. Hang on to your billfold here just a second, folks. Tithes and offerings, he says. He says, Yeah, your tithes and offerings rob God. And then he says, I tell you what, that is... That is, you take, and what is a tithe? It's the 10%. It belongs in the storehouse, right? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, he said. And this is Malachi 3. You can go back and read it. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm not saying this for any other reason except this is a biblical principle. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing out on you. It is that one time where God says, hey, put me to the test. Let's try it out. All right? But it makes, I mean, think about it. That makes no sense whatsoever because basically what we're saying is is I've got 100% of my income and 100% is actually less than 90% if I take that 10% and I give it to the Lord. If I'm faithful to what God has to do, uh, tells me to do. And if I do that, then God's going to take the 100% and he's going to bless it so it's more. I mean, when is less more? When I obey God's word and by faith I do what God says to do. And I tell you what, there are people in this room this morning who are tithers. Some of us are, some of us aren't. I don't know who, I don't check those things, but I want you to know this. We could give testimony this morning. Donna and I made a decision many, many years ago that we were just going to be faithful with the tithe. We haven't always been able to afford the tithe. I've had people tell me we can't afford the tithe. We can't afford not to tithe because God, I don't know how he does it. But it's by the power of God, he takes the 90%, makes it more than the 100%. And what I found is, is that now in faith, as we just trust God with our finances and do what God says to do, now he blesses that and he works and he opens the heaven and windows of heaven and pours it out. And now we've got everything we need and God provides that way. But what I have to do is I've got to take the word of God and by my faith, I've got to apply it to the situations of my life. Beloved, I want to say it again, the power of faith Faith is to change the hopeless situations in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, Paul wrote, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but are powerful, through God for the demolition of strongholds. That is, the walls come tumbling down when by faith we take the word of God and bring it to bear in the situations of our life, and he does what only he can do. He changes. The power of faith is to change the hopeless situations of your life. First thing. Second one is this, and this is even greater. This is better. (laughs) If that was good, this is a lot better. All right, here we go. The power of faith is to change the hopeless, uh, is the power to change a hopeless life. It is the power to change a hopeless life. Look at verse 31. He he talks about a lady named Rahab. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. (laughs) Not too many times you're going to see the word faith and prostitute in the same sentence, talking about the same person. This was the faithful prostitute. (laughs) And by the way, if, if we were Jewish or we were Hebrew and we were thinking in terms of, you know, uh, levels of sin and everything, this particular woman we're going to talk about here, her name is Rahab, she had all kinds of things going against her. Number one, she was a woman. Number two, she was a Gentile woman. Number three, she was a prostitute Gentile woman. I mean, if anybody was designed to fuel the fires of hell, it was Rahab. I mean she was on a one-way trip. If we you know if if we you know just think about this thing logically and realistically and theologically and everything she's on her way to hell. Man there is absolutely no way that anything can happen into her life from a Hebrew perspective. But she lived in Jericho. And Joshua before they came against Jericho, Joshua sent a couple of spies there and they went to her house, to her house of ill repute, to the prostitute's house. Why? Well, because it wouldn't have been an unusual thing for men to come and go in a house of prostitutes. So they went in there, and evidently, somehow, someway, they let her know who they were and what God was doing, and she believed God. She believed the Word of God, and she ended up hiding them from uh, the authorities. When the authorities found out they were in the area, they came to her house. She said, no, they're not here. They took off. She hid them, and then she helped them to escape with the promise that she would be saved. And they told her, I tell you what you need to do. You need to take this scarlet rope. It's called the scarlet thread of redemption, by the way, and hang it out your window. And if you'll hang this scarlet thread of redemption out your window, when the walls come tumbling down, when we come and destroy Jericho, you will be saved. And that's exactly what happened. It says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. That is, she, by faith, by faith, she was saved by the power of God. She was on her way to hell. But because God is faithful to his word, when she put her faith in him and she put his word to practice in her life, she was saved. You know what the Bible says? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's a promise of God. That's not a maybe, not a might be. That is a definite. And that's why, you know, uh, when I encourage people about, um, about trusting in Jesus and, and asking him for forgiveness, and co- I want you to know that you can be sure of your salvation. In fact, we look at a passage of scripture in Sunday school this morning in 1 John chapter 5. These things have I written unto you that you might know, he said, that you have eternal life. And that believe in the name of Jesus, you will be saved. That's the promise of God. That's the word of God. And when you take God at his word and you bring it to bear in your life, your life can be changed. Her life was changed. In fact, it was radically changed. You know, when Jericho fell, she and her family were the only ones saved. And then we wonder, well, wonder what happened to Rahab. You know, we don't have to wonder about that because the Bible tells us. In the book of Matthew, in the first chapter, Matthew gives uh, the lineage of Jesus. And Watch this. It says in verse 5 and 6, it says, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. That is, Rahab. And we're talking about Rahab the prostitute here. Rahab married a Jewish man named Salmon. They had a baby. They named him Boaz. Boaz uh, had a little son. So this is Rahab's grandson named Obed. And that grandson came through Ruth. (laughs) Remember the story of Ruth. So... Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law. How about that? And Ruth, uh, through Obed, uh, well, gave birth to Obed, and then Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David, and that's the King David. And so Rahab, the prostitute, the Canaanite prostitute, was uh, King David's great, 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 Grandmother, and this is the prostitute that is in the lineage of King Jesus. You know, it was uh, <coughs> it was uh, Billy Sunday who said, "Only God can hit a straight leg with a crooked stick." <laughs> you know that God take, can take any life; doesn't matter who you are, what you are, and literally, physically, spiritually, change that life. That's what he did in Rahab's life. And, you know, the reality is is that he can do it in any life. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're saved, he's done it in your life. And if you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you on the authority of God's word, he can do it in your life. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever's happening in your life, he can change. If he can change a life like Rahab and he can change somebody like me, why couldn't he change you? You know, the Apostle Paul in... In Romans, he says, where sin did abound, that is, when it was this big, grace was much more. How are we saved? By God's grace, through faith. That is, we take the grace of God by the word of God, and we apply it to our lives, and salvation comes through Jesus, you know the gospel says it doesn't matter who you are, what you are. That Christ died to save sinners. Paul said, "I'm the chief sinner," and Jesus saves sinners. You you put uh, you put the gospel into practice in your life, and you are saved by grace through faith. I want to uh, show you a little video. Uh, it's uh, it's an illustration. Uh, the 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 woman's name you're going to see here is uh, uh, her name is Iris Blue and uh iris blue and um, her husband they actually traveled uh really throughout texas uh sharing their uh sharing their testimony i don't know if you've ever heard that you can actually look this up on on uh uh, on YouTube, Let me just give you a little background. Iris, uh, she grew up, uh, going to church and everything, but she rebelled against that. This is her testimony. I'm going to summarize it real quick. As her testimony. She rebelled against her parents. She ended up getting into drugs. She ended up doing a whole lot of stuff. She ended up going to prison. I think she spent about eight and a half years in prison. She came out of prison whole time. Her parents were praying for her. She wanted to get her life straight. She wanted to be beautiful. She, everybody, she was always told she was ugly and fat and they made fun of her and everything else like that. And, uh, she just wanted to be beautiful, and she tried going uh, right, but uh, she, went to a, she went to a bar one time, and uh, she ended up owning that bar. She ended up owning three strip clubs, and uh, she was kind of the madam. Those strip clubs uh, uh, fronted as, uh, as brothels, and uh, this is who she was. And uh, listen to this part of her testimony right here. Watch this. Okay, we need sound. Hold on. So we're going to back up just a little bit when we get to sound here. Okay. Click on that right there. You good? You're good. We can start right there. We're fine.
1: Prison and all the different things, even under a psychiatrist's help, nothing worked. And after I'd been out of prison a year and a half, a young man got up out of a, just a normal church and started telling me that Jesus loved me. He'd... Been saved recently, and he thought if Jesus could love him and save him, he could save anybody. And he began to tell me that Jesus could change my life. I'd heard those stories before. I'd even been to GA camp myself and memorized Bible verses, but I didn't know Jesus. I just knew a little bit about him. And what finally happened on March 31st, 15 years ago, out in front of one of those topless clubs, that young man told me that Jesus could take an old tramp like I was. And when he said the word tramp, my heart broke because I wanted him to say something pretty but he just called me a tramp what I was and he said that Jesus could make me a lady that's all I ever wanted in life anyway I said I'm ready I mean I didn't have to pray Heavenly Father can I keep just one bar open wouldn't it offend you if you saw a Christian topless nightclub you know I knew I couldn't do that and I knew there were some things I'd need to turn from and I knew that it was just believing in Jesus and receiving Him by faith and it wasn't faith and works but I knew that what he was telling me it was a faith that worked and that if I put my life in Jesus' hands, if I just say, I do to Him, and give me to Him, because He had given His self to me, that He would changed my life, that He'd give me the power to do what I knew I needed to do. And I said, I'm ready. And I knelt down outside that street corner, right in front of the old bar with a little girl dancing in the window. And He led me in a sinner's prayer, just saying, I do to Jesus. And you know what? It worked. I stood up. I closed three clubs that night. I never went back to my apartments. I don't know where my furniture, my clothes went. My life was totally changed and rearranged. I doubted my salvation about 300 times till Sunday morning. And I called that man. I said, let's pray one more time. But on Sunday morning, I went to church. And that preacher reached into the Psalms and said that God would remove my sin as far as east is from the west. I said, honey, (laughs) I'm not educated, but you can't get there from here. I wanted to scream. I said, how can they sit still (laughs) east from the west? Then he said about Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. Saying what's more of the flesh is flesh. But what's born of the spirit was spirit. And I knew what happened to me. And so March 31st, I knelt down an old tramp. But I stood up a lady, clean and pure, forgiven, innocent, blameless, accepted, cherished. It says in Psalms 45, he desires my beauty. (laughs) Y'all might not think I'm cute. Who cares? The (laughs) king of kings desires my beauty. Now my husband's...
0: Did you hear that part where she said, I knelt down a tramp. I stood up a lady. I knelt down a tramp, stood up a lady. You know, if Jesus can do that in a life like Iris Blue or Rahab, I guess he could probably do it in your life too. That you know what? It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what you've done. Jesus loves you, and he gave himself for you. And it is the power of God in your life to change the impossible situations and to change the impossible life once and for all. And today, I want you to know that power of faith is the power of God. But you gotta, you got to believe God. you got to take him at his word, and you got to bring it to bear in your life. And when you do that, on the authority of the word of God, I will tell you that your situations will change. Your life will change. I don't know how they'll come out. I don't know how your life will come out, but praise God. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, be afraid or worry about that because now you've got him. Deciding all that stuff, right? That's what it means to be a child of God, and that's what it means to have faith. The power of faith is the power of God at work in your life. Father, I would ask you today in the name of Jesus that you would, Lord, show yourself mighty. As we sang earlier today, Lord, be glorified in this place. Come and fill this place, Lord, and show us your glory, Lord, and open our hearts. God, open our minds to you. Father, some of us today... We're just tramps on the inside, so we are. Maybe not like Iris, but in other ways. And God, today as we just kneel down, Lord, I pray, God, that you would raise us up whole and clean and pure and saved. And I thank you, Lord, that your word is true and that you do that. And God, some of us today, we've got some impossible situations that we don't know what to do about in our homes, they're in our workplaces, they're in our jobs, they're with our finances. Lord, I just pray today that as you show us the truth, and God, as we take that truth, the Word, and we bring it to bear in our life, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. Lord, this is my prayer today for all of us here and for our church body. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray as we stand before the Father today. And now is the time of of response. Let's stand together. And I'm going to invite you this morning to uh, to just give it up for Jesus. And again, it doesn't matter who you are what you are.